welcome to Turn the Page, the official podcast of the Syosset Public Library. Welcome back to Turn the Page. I'm your host today, Jen, and I am joined by a historian and a journalist and a writer who is here to talk about an extremely important and timely book. Thank you for coming to our show to speak with our listeners. Uh, Welcome. Could I ask you to introduce yourself and the book, please? Of course. My name is Arash Azizi. Um, I'm originally from Iran, and my uh, book is is about uh, Iran. It's called What Iranians Want, Woman, Life, Freedom. Um, and it is uh, a an account um, of the uprising that Iranians uh, staged in 2022-2023. And it's an attempt really uh, by me to show um, all the reasons for which Iranians came out and the sort of richness of social movements and civil society in Iran um, of uh, people fighting for women's rights, uh, people fighting for um, freedom of expression and, and all the other demands that animated uh, this revolutionary movement in Iran. It's such a fascinating account and it really reveals that the the width and the breadth of Iranian activism is so much more um, comprehensive and addresses so many different societal things than I had originally imagined. Um, could you talk a little bit about your career and the journey uh, to this book? Um, I know that you uh, spent some time at NYU and I am an NYU alumna. So yeah, could you talk about what led you to this project? Violet Pride. <laughs> <laughs> Um, yeah, so, you know, I, um, uh, before anything more relevant to the book, uh, since my teenage years, I was an activist in Iran, um, and like many other Iranian, my compatriots, of, especially of my generation, we were fighting this uh, nasty dictatorship, the Islamic Republic that ruled over our lives, um, we fought its restrictive rules, um, and that sort of, that struggle has always animated me in whatever else that I do. Um, I was also a journalist uh, in Iran. Uh, and when I left Iran, uh, which which is uh, about 15, 16 years ago, when I was 20, I, I left Iran um, for, for Canada. And then I've lived in a, a couple of other countries along the way. Um, but I've always continued the same thing. I've continued journalism um, because of the restrictions inside Iran. Much of the Iranian journalism is down outside um, from London, where Persian language broadcasters um, and their sort of different newspapers, the websites. And I've worked with a ver- variety of them over the years. Um, and I also worked in um, sort of global media. I used to work at the BBC in Britain. Uh, but at some point, I wanted to get a deeper understanding of the uh, sort of history uh, that we were faced with, uh, both in relation to my country and and sort of the global left that I saw myself as a part of. So I uh, ended up going back to school. Basically, I uh, I actually sort of I I left. I had I was a TV anchor for a, a London-based uh, broadcaster to Iran, and I left uh, that uh, TV job and I went back to school. So I, I got an MA in history in Berlin, and then I pursued my PhD in NYU. Where I got uh, I got a PhD in history um, and Middle Eastern studies, um, but you know I've I've never you know I've been always between the two worlds if you will of academia and journalism. I never want to just speak to academics or write books that you know nine people read. You know, mm-hmm. um, so it's been an attempt to um, write books that can engage with a broader public. Um, and you know I love the conversation that uh, we are having now because that's exactly the goal of this book that I I want uh, Americans. Um, and people around the world who can read English 
um, learn more about Iran, um, you know, not uh, via 30 second clips uh, on, on media, um, but a sort of a deeper account of our people's struggles and, and you know, what we're standing for. So th this kind of audiences uh, is exactly what I had uh, hoped to achieve by writing uh, books like this. Mm. Yeah, I'm really interested in your perspective as a historian and a journalist, um, you know, because you are looking backward and you are also looking forward to, you know, what the movement looks like now and how it will look in the future. And, um, you know, this is all so recent and it's still evolving, too. So could you talk a little bit about, you know, combining those perspectives of history and journalism and what it's like to try to describe history as it is unfolding? That's a very good question. And it's something that I think about a lot. Um, uh, you know, um, a lot of times I think of of journalism as I think, you know, they say what first draft of history or, or history of the present is sort of term, term that people use. Um, you know, for me, um, I have a Throughout years of be being a historian, um, I've, I've sort of have a historian's approach to things, if you will. I, my um, answer to a lot of questions uh, is rooted in okay, let's look at its history. Let's look at sort of what happened there, and in inevitably, that's also the case with this book. Um, and it's, it's it's something that sounds simple, but um, I think we often miss the history of things, and uh, unfortunately, history uh, in a lot of places has a sort of a reputation of being a bit boring. There's that that famous. Um, there's that famous, um, you know, saying there's one damn thing after another, right? And mm -hmm. I'm, all my attempts as a historian is to show, no, it doesn't need to be one damn thing after another. Actually, it can be a, a animating and fascinating story. And actually, without it, we will be lost, right? Mm -hmm. So this book, when I wanted to write it, you know, I... I wanted to write a book about the movement, right? That I and this was when the movement was going on. And one approach would have been to just write about what was happening on the streets, um, basically, and what was happening in 2022 and 2023. Uh, that would be for me a compilation of media reports, basically, some more interviews with some people, but that's not what I had in mind. What I wanted to do was to give color and weight and historical backing to all the different. Uh, sort of streams that had come together to make this movement possible in 2022. So if you look at, for example, the central demand of the movement in 2022 was a fight against this compulsory hijab. Iranian woman, is, Iran is the only country in the world now with the possible addition of Afghanistan, uh, where women are first to, uh, forced to cover their head. Uh, no other country in the world, uh, no other Muslim country or, or otherwise uh, had has such uh, draconian uh, law uh, that tries to this on, on women. Um, where how did it start? I mean, it started with the 1979 revolution. And guess what? Before the revolution had even consolidated, before there was even an Islamic Republic, women came out in Iran and fought against this. And they were told that this didn't matter, that, uh, you know, that it wasn't important, that it wasn't a priority, that now we were having a revolution. And um, in, so that's how I start the book. Um, there is a one of the characters in the book, Homan Nateq, is this Iranian and uh, woman uh, activist against the government in 1979, who you know had famously said, "Oh, I don't care about the hijab. Uh, this is not important." And she ends up saying in a quote that I have um, that you know I learned that uh, those who want to control your uh, body and and what you wear will also control what you think, right? So, uh, so a quote from 30, 40 years ago might not have seemed relevant to the movement now, but I think it was very relevant because it's a uh, uh, it really shows what a long way we came 
and we as the Iranian society to understand those women who came out in March 8, 1979, and we didn't listen to them. You know, I mean, I wasn't born yet, right? But my compadres didn't listen to them. Um, and so similarly with other uh, parts of the book, I tried to show that, look, these movements didn't start from yesterday. Um, and they're not all a simple sort of government versus the people. There's a movement for freedom of expression. There's uh, environmental rights movement. There's a movement for Afghan refugees. Um, there are movements against Iran's sort of foreign policy and interventionist policies in the Middle East. Um, and that, you know, there is uh, there is really a backing to this. So I hope I what I tried to do was to use history, um, a lot of it recent history of the last 10, 20 years, um, to show really what the movement that is happening uh, is all about. And I think, you know, as I said, often this gets lost and... Uh, you know, we hear an account of, let's say, revolution in Sudan or Egypt or some or Chile, and it sort of becomes people are angry, they hate the government, right? But uh, if if you don't know uh, the background, um, it becomes harder to understand, you know, why people risk their lives for change. Absolutely, and I think recovering that deeper history that a lot of Americans are unaware of, like the fact that the uh, hijab protests stretch back that far, um, you know, is itself, I guess in a way, like an act of activism, right? Because one thing that you talk about a lot is that the current Supreme Leader, uh, Khomeini, um, you know, manipulates the media in order to suppress journalism and to, you know, manipulate what people see and don't see, you know. And so recovering that deep history, you know, because those who try to control the media in the present are also going to, like, try to control the way that you view your own history, right? So uh, can you talk a little bit about maybe that, like the role of the media in Iran, uh, and how that is affecting the situation. Of course, yeah. And, you know, um, you mentioned the sort of people not knowing, um, you know, there was a former president here who said, oh, they they like hijab back then, you know, we shouldn't have anything to do with it. So I hope that, you know, if he gets a copy, he can see that, no, actually, people have uh, struggled against this for, uh, for a long time. Um, you know, uh, there's a lot of conversations now about the role of uh, media in the United States. Um, a lot of us are you know, a very sad and gutted by the uh, gutting of media. Just a few weeks before our conversation, Los Angeles Times, you know, laid off, I don't know, more than 100 journalists or newspapers closing down everywhere. And I think, you know, this country, United States, it's freedom of speech, it's tradition of vibrant journalism all over the country, like not just big national papers, but there are, you know, there are papers in, in little towns in South Dakota that have done Pulitzer winning style journalism for, for decades. And unfortunately, in my in our generation, as we speak, it's being lost. And I think if you look at a country like Iran, you, know, you will see why the role of journalism is so important. Um, and perhaps not take for granted, uh, you know, you know, what, what you can have when there is a freedom of the speech. In Iran, um, journalism is a very vibrant um scene in which people uh, uh, you know, stake a lot um, and they pay a very high price. Iranian prisons is full of journalists. Um, uh, you know, the journalists who, for example, as you know, the movement in Iran started when Mahsa Amini, a young Iranian woman, uh, was, was killed in September 2022 when she was arrested by the police because she was supposedly not wearing her uh, headscarf properly and sort of they killed her. Um, Journalists who work on that story, who broke that story, has spent uh, a long time in jail. In fact, they're only recently out and on, basically they're out on bail, uh, but they spent a couple of years in prison. Um, so many others have. Um, and yet Iranian journalists go out time and time again um, doing stories on, you know, corruption, on the, 
uh, on how much Iran is spending in um, in its military adventures in the region and and in sort of many other uh, you know many other important stories like that. And they face they they give all they have. You know, it's not just the fear of being in prison. Um, it's also the fact that how can you have a career in a place like that? You know, I've been in in newspapers where it gets closed down and, you know, it's a place you went to work every day and, you know, you had lunch there, you did work there. And then the day after uh, there's a lock on the door and, and you cannot go in because of the, because the judges, uh, you know, of the Islamic Republic decided, uh, decided so. Um, so repressing journalism and what people, you know, can talk about um, is, is a very primary function of dictatorships. And that's what Islamic Republic does. And I think that, you know, should remind us of how, you know, important the role of, of journalism is and what we will lose um, if we don't have it. Uh, you know, if 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 we all reduce to, uh, you know, facts on TikTok and uh, um, sort of uh, word of mouth and, uh, you know, we, we don't have this sort of guardians of, of, um, of, of uh, reality that go there day in and day out, um, um, you know, and follow stories and investigate stories, there will be huge loss. And I'm very proud and happy to say in Iran, despite all of this, there is still an active independent journalism, both for uh, uh, journals and, and outlets abroad, but even for those inside Iran, despite all restrictions, they continue and they do very important work. And they're, you know, some of the biggest heroes that, that I've ever known. Mm. Yeah, it is um, really incredible to... Um, come to understand that sort of media landscape and all of the really important work that is being done under these conditions. Um, speaking of, you know, activism, journalism as activism and how we can support that from far away, what are things that, um, you know, Americans who read this book and want to understand the situation better and perhaps to support a free media, like what kind of things can we do from afar? Well, um, you know, this conversation in the United States um, is very fruitful because, as you know, there's a very large diaspora of Iranians. There are uh, a couple millions of us here in the United States, um, and they're often very active, doing great work for the movement uh, back home. Um, and, uh, yeah, you know, there are, so there are organizations here that, that you can get involved with and help. My uh, personal uh, suggestion is United for Iran. Uh, which is an organization based in Berkeley, California, but it really works, uh, you know, it, it does a lot of work in relation to Iran. There are tons of people on the ground who, in one way or another, um, are benefit from the kind of support that it gives. What I love about United for Iran is that it's not about itself. It's not about sort of diaspora. It's not about us, like, showing our identity or feelings by, by supporting a cause. It's really about supporting those brave men and women in Iran who are uh, on the front lines of Iranian civil society, um, um, so yeah, that's, uh, you know, that's one um, organization that, uh, that I recommend. And I also recommend, you know, just, uh, keeping up, uh, on Iran, um, you know, following our stories, uh, and struggles and then giving us hope, giving a talk about uh, our struggle, because it's a, it's a lonely struggle in many ways. We were, fa we faced this, uh, tough repressive regime since 1979 and we fought it time and time again. Um, unfortunately, victory has yet eluded us. Uh, but, uh, you know, we can really rely on, um, on sympathy and, and help, um, spreading the word. And as I also said, organizations like United for Iran or others that you can find, um, who help uh, the Iranian struggle in one way or the other. Um, yeah. And I'm, I, myself, I'm, you know, on social media and sort of uh, Instagram, Twitter and others, and always happy for people who want to reach out to know more or find avenues where, um, 
they can show us solidarity. Um, I'm always happy to um, I'm always happy to uh, have those conversations. Great, thank you. Yeah, and those are some really, I think, good and fruitful, uh, you know, first steps for people who want to know more and get involved. Um, and finally, you know, I'm really glad that you brought up hope, uh, especially in the um, context of like the long sort of intergenerational nature of this struggle. Something that I really admired about the book is that it does a very good job, I think, of balancing a sort of like clear-eyed, realistic view of, you know, what it's going on on the ground with a sort of long-term hope, you know, that helps you stay engaged and stay present. So can you talk about, you know, what goes into balancing those moods or those perspectives? Like, how do you keep yourself uh you know, in the right mindset, you know, in order to stay engaged, if that makes sense, you know. Of course, yeah. You know, Antonio Gramsci, the Italian revolutionary, famously said you should have a pessimism of intellect and optimism of will. I, you know, don't fool yourselves about uh, the odds, um, but also uh, put all you have optimistically into your chances of success. And I think it's a good uh, advice for any activist and is, is what I've always tried to have in, in, re in relation to Iran. Um, but I should also say that, uh, you know, there are there are many reasons to be um, um, sort of forlorn, if you will, or sad about the state because I, I state of the movement in Iran. Because after all, we were, as I said, unable to dislodge the Islamic Republic. We're unable to really present a, a coherent political alternative. Uh, and one main reason for that is that in Iran, anytime there are tons of people who could be great uh, leaders uh, in Iran, but they're in prison. Um, you know, Nagas Mohammadi, this great uh, inspiration for a lot of us who won the Nobel Prize last year, Nobel Peace Prize. Um, she's spent most of the past few decades uh, in prison, uh, has barely spent, uh, you know, few days with her with her children. She barely gets to even speak to them on the phone. Um, and, and that's just one example. There are tons of Iranian trade unionists, feminists, uh, journalists who are in prison, um, filmmakers even, right? Um, and these are the people who who could have helped cohere an alternative. Um, so there's a lot of reasons for sort of uh, for pessimism and the reality that this has eluded us. Um, the other um, the, the other facto is that the regime, the Islamic Republic, has really shown its bankruptcy and the bankruptcy of its policies. Um, and it's sort of in a dead end. And you would think that at some point, as I sort of predict in the epilogue to the book, that, you know, they would have to change some of these policies and open up... Um, you know, even for for its own survival, um, to save itself from the sort of economic retardation and everything else that is ex experiencing. Um, but um, I think the the key fact that gives me hope is the fact that you know I'm 36 now, uh, and I've been at this for some time. Uh, you know, it's a feeling in the I don't know mid to late 30s that you already feel like you've been at it for a while. But I'm so inspired by these young people who keep continuing to come out. Um, and keep continuing to fight and they're not uh, I, and you know I don't live in Iran um, you know, but but they do and they've they haven't given up hope it's amazing for me the resilience of my people this book in many ways is a love letter if you will to my compatriots um, who who I'm awed by um, by their continuing coming out by their continued uh, resilience and by the high standards they set for themselves right it's not just uh, even though they live in some of the most repressive conditions in the world um their demands when it comes to gender issues social issues 
political issues are are really high. I they don't want to just be a little bit better, um, to be a you know to live under a dictatorship that is a little bit better. Um, but they set but they set standards of the world to themselves. In the words of Sarina Esmailzadeh, sixteen year old girl who was killed in this movement and is the subject of my last chapter. Um, you know, she says, why shouldn't I uh, want the best? Why shouldn't I want to live um, like teenagers my age um, in in Berlin or Los Angeles? Or, you know, she had a teenage view of the world, but in you know, looking at people who lived in, in countries that were democratic. Um, and uh, yeah, I think that's what gives me hope that they, uh, the resilience of of my compatriots who this book is dedicated to and this, this book is really about. Mm. Yeah, that's really lovely. And I think it does point to, you know, I think people give teens a lot of, you know, a lot of hard times, but they can really be our moral center sometimes, you know, and keep us, you know, grounded on track. So that's really great. Thank you so much for sharing this book with us um, and this project and, you know, this perspective on what's happening. Um, what are you working on now? What is next on the horizon for you? Well, this book just came out. So <laughs> after uh, every, this is the second book that I've written. And Usually after a book, uh, you catch a breath and you promise yourself never to do this again. So uh, that, uh, you know, I am there. But, you know, I have uh, I am my dissertation was about uh, the uh, socialist movements in the Middle East um, the, in the 20th century. So I might uh, try to turn that into an sort of an academic book, if you will, about, uh, you know, about that topic. Um, but uh, I don't know. I am right now. I'm more um you know, doing interviews like this uh, and and uh, talking about uh, this book and hoping to get the message out about the um, freedom movement in Iran. Okay, Excellent. Well, thank you again for joining us. And, you know, I hope you enjoy your little rest in between projects and best of luck on the next one. <laughs> thank you so much. Thank you so much for having me. It's a real honor. Oh, it was a it was a delight and an honor. Thank you. Um, listeners, it's now your turn. Um, please check out What Iranians Want, Women, Life, Freedom. Um, by the time that you hear this, it will be available out in the world. So please head to your favorite bookstore or library. Thank you so much for joining us. It is now time to close this chapter. It's time to close this chapter of Turn the Page. Join us for the next episode.